Uh, today, uh, we are going to be in the Gospel of John. Uh, I'm currently going through a class in, in seminary on the Gospels, and uh, right now we're in the book of John, so it felt appropriate to just stay there. Um, in this class, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, one of the big themes in the Gospels is the kingdom of God. How do we define God's kingdom? What's our role in God's kingdom, and what does that kingdom look like here? So I hope uh, that as we leave uh, from church this morning, we'll have answered these questions and uh, that these answers will serve as a reminder of how we are to follow Christ. Um, a little background so far. So we're uh, in chapter 13, but uh, John's gospel is one of my favorite gospels. Uh, just the way he writes and tells a story, I think, is so captivating. John has started by telling the story of, he started at John the Baptist, uh, and then he moves on to Jesus and, and the miracle that Jesus did at the wedding of Cana. Uh, he then proceeds to the interactions with uh, Nicodemus and the woman, the woman at the well. Um, he, John tells the story of Jesus feeding the uh, 5,000 and then healing those who are sick and ailing. Jesus, uh, in this gospel, has refuted the Pharisees. He's declared his divinity by reaching uh, into their own history and just saying, before everything that you knew, I was there. So he's, he's dealt with the death of one of his closest friends and then did the unthinkable, the inhuman, and the supernatural by raising him from the dead. Jesus has been anointed. He's been praised. He's been anticipated and celebrated and he's also been mocked and questioned and had to fend off attempts on his life. And most recently to our passage this morning, uh, he's been betrayed. And so that kind of brings us up to chapter 13. And at the beginning of our chapter, uh, it's the week of Passover. And Jesus has gathered his disciples for a meal together. And, and this kind of signals the beginning of the end. John describes this dark, uh, brooding scene full of turmoil, and in uh, John's motifs, there's a battle of darkness and light, good and evil, and we see uh, Judas in this chapter succumb to the desires of the enemy. Our, our chapter begins with night. Uh, they were gathered in a room for supper, and Jesus chose to serve his disciples in a way that, had become, that has become a staple in our church today of representing service in that he washed uh, their feet. Their nasty, nasty, dirty, cake-layered feet uh, from wearing sandals and walking around all day. He chooses to lower himself to wash his disciples' feet. And even in this moment, he knew that what was to follow would be full of pain, a suffering, and separation from the Father, and yet he continues to serve and love on his disciples. After the foot washing came the meal, and it's during this meal that the story uh, escalates. He couldn't bear it any longer, and his spirit was so troubled that he declared that one of his closest followers, uh, one of the twelve, one of his disciples, would betray him. You can just imagine the effect that this has in the room. It just levels, uh, just probably a deafening silence. And interestingly enough, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop it. Instead, he tells Judas in verse 27 of our chapter, um, "What you are going to do, do quickly." 
I can't imagine being in a position of being uh, betrayed, but Jesus, the creator and king and fully God, doesn't stop this evil plot, but recognizes this as a part of the Messiah's glorification process. This is part of what has to happen. And this is something that God will use. Uh, This doesn't mark the end of the story. And then right before our passage this morning, it says, and it was night. This is the author, John, using his creative writing to communicate uh, this evil intent in the air. The darkness and terror were in the midst uh, of an all-out attack on the true light of the world. And it's in the midst of all this that we come to our passage this morning. So read with me uh, John 13, 31 through 35. When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a, while, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this morning, we're going to focus on these verses and take a deeper look into what Jesus is, is communicating here. After telling of his betrayal, Judas steps out, and there's this air of uh, uncertainty in the room. In verse 28, it says, Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Knowing what is about to happen, Jesus addresses some possible issues about his messianic kingdom. And this reminded me of what some uh, organizations do or companies do after there's been an incident with one of their employees or an unfavorable event. Uh, There's this need to to clarify and clear the air uh, that whatever just happened does not reflect the organization's principles and values and they often restate what they actually do believe. Um, I'm a big sports fan. I think I say that every time I'm up here. I like sports. Uh, And I hear this way too often with players uh, from different teams who act out uh, or have messed up in some way. The team must clarify to their fans and to the world watching that the players' actions do not reflect the beliefs or values held by the team. I feel like I could give this presser right now. And there's often some sort of restatement of what the team actually does believe, things like high, respect, uh, high levels of respect, character, uh, devoted work ethic, and integrity, so on and so forth. So with Judas, one of the disciples about to go on to make one of the most heinous acts of history, Jesus kind of takes it upon himself to restate what his kingdom is about so that people don't get confused at the action, actions of one of its followers. Jesus clarifies in the following verses what being in God's kingdom is all about, and it's so far from what Judas' decision and actions were. So we start in verse 31, and it begins with setting the stage for the rest of the short passage. Judas left, and then Jesus addresses the disciples, and he gives this speech about uh, his glorification process. We might think when we hear the word glory, that's a positive term. And so being glorified might be exciting and cheery and, uh, and awesome. But Jesus, for Jesus, it's something quite different. It will involve betrayal, torture, and death. 
but this is what he's referring to. And so Jesus makes this pronouncement. Um, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Well, this term, Son of Man, is, is special, and this term implies divine origins, that Jesus is, is divine, and the purpose, it implies uh, what he was sent on earth to do, which was to restore humanity to God. So the Son of Man is going to be glorified as he is in the midst of restoring humanity to God. Verse 32 continues, If God is glorified in him, him being Christ and what is about to happen, then, there's a prediction, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. These first uh, two verses are meant to be comforting to the disciples. It's Jesus saying, look, I know what's about to happen. You don't fully get it yet, disciples, but I know what's about to happen, and it's dark, and it's gruesome, and it doesn't bode well. It's not going to look great, but what is about to happen is going to glorify God. It's because of who I am, Jesus, and what I will do. God will glorify me too, which is also glorifying to God. So don't worry, disciples. The gist of it is God's going to be glorified. And then in verse 33, Jesus uh, directly addresses the disciples. Imagine yourself at this table with Jesus, a Passover, supposed to be a, a, a good time. Your leader, who is God, the Son of Man, has mentioned before that his time has not yet come. He's referred to what must happen for God to be glorified, and it's always a bit ominous, and you, as a disciple, don't really get it. Um, and then Jesus drops this bomb at the dinner table by saying, one of you will betray him. We've all, I'm trusting, we've all had some awkward dinner conversations and maybe around the holidays had some uncomfortable conversations with maybe relatives that we don't see eye to eye on. Well, dial that up by like a thousand and maybe we start to get an idea of the tension that's here in this room at this meal. It's far beyond what I can even comprehend. But someone is going to betray Jesus, and that's just a lot to process, and it doesn't fully make sense to the disciples. But it's from this flow of betrayal and this narrative that this new commandment is stated. And so even afterwards, the denial, um, just this idea of, of things not going uh, the way that they should, in the, the verses following our passage, Peter uh, is prophesied so he will betray Jesus in a way. He, he will deny Jesus. Um, so it's just so important to understand what God's kingdom is about and where Jesus stands. Okay, back to verse 33. He says, little children. And as we know, these are, these are uh, not little children. They're the disciples, though they are in their probably uh, young 20s. Um, and myself not being too far removed from my young 20s, uh, putting myself in that situation uh, probably would not have liked to be called, I don't like to be called a little child and maybe the disciples uh, on any other day would not have liked to be called little children um, as it might have been condescending or uh, appear that they were being looked down upon but f for Jesus um, I don't think it is that way it's not condescending or, or patch I, I don't read it that way we haven't heard this greeting before to the disciples little children but, but in this context, I, I love it. I think it's, it's perfect because I think it conveys uh, the divine nature of Jesus, his ability to see the larger picture and know what his disciples are going through, know what they're afraid of right now, know uh, that they're anxious and stressed 
and nervous for what is coming, it points to Christ's omniscience and his ability to meet people's needs. And I think it does show that the disciples were anxious and and in a despairing state. And Jesus just meets them where they're at. And we know that this is true of us today too, right? That Christ meets each and every one of us where we're at. Uh, No matter where we're at in life or how long we've known Jesus, if we've just come to know him or we've been walking with him for 40 years, he always remains the same in our lives. He is steadfast. He is faithful. he, He knows what's good for us. He loves us. He sustains us and he provides for us. And he knows how to reach us individually, reach our hearts. And we are all God's children, aren't we? And when there's stuff going on in our life that's causing us to freak out and stress out, where we slip into a state of despair or anxiety, God can say to us, little children. And there's a deep sense of comfort and peace and the chaos in our hearts and our minds can can dissipate. So I feel that in this moment here in verse 33, Jesus reading the disciples and what's going on in their minds says, little children. But just as he calms them by saying, little children, he freaks them out a bit more by saying, yet a little while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, I now also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Man, this is a roller coaster of a night for the disciples. What a dinner. Uh, this is supposed to be a celebra- uh, you know, a celebration, a time, this meal of t- is going to be... Uh, a time of togetherness at Passover, and yet this night is just a crazy one. So there's a, rumors of betrayal, and now he's saying that, guys, I'm leaving and you can't follow me. And Jesus says, as I said to, this, as I said to the Jews, this phrase, uh, what does he mean by this? Well, earlier in John's gospel, as he had been doing miracles and he'd been healing and um, the people became, uh, they started following him in, in large crowds. But Jesus points out earlier that they're following him for the wrong reasons. They want to see uh, the food, you know, that they can have for the rest of their whatever. Uh, oh, my goodness. They want to, uh, they have selfish motive. Their hearts are in the wrong place. And so Jesus said to them, where I'm going, you cannot come. But now he says it to the disciples, people who do believe, whose hearts are, are in the right place, And I think it shocks them. They don't get to follow Jesus either in this moment. You can tell this is getting to them because in the verses immediately following our passage, Peter, it's the first thing Peter brings up. And it's like he didn't hear another word of what Jesus said after he said, you cannot follow me. Uh, Peter, as we know, is one with um, just vibrant character and loves to be close to Jesus. He probably doesn't imagine himself farther than feet three away ever. Um, and so that comes up. But Jesus is saying, you cannot follow me right now. And he continues with giving them a commandment. And I think this is a brilliant leadership by Jesus. Again, he's meeting them where they're at. He knows that their hearts and minds are racing, trying to deal with these cloudy unknowns about what is to come. So what does he do? He gives them a command, a task, something to wrap their minds around um, while also clarifying what his kingdom is about. Verse 34 reads, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are are to love one another. It begins with this base commandment, love one another, which would sound familiar to them, and we'll get to that in just a second. And then he offers this comparison, this example, just as I have loved you. And then he expands on this commandment 
uh, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So it's, it's more than an example. Jesus is setting the bar at a new place, a new standard. And he calls it a new commandment. Now I ask myself this week, why a new commandment? Why, uh, why use this language? And I'm sure it's purposeful, and sure enough, it was. To the disciples and to the Jews, there was already a commandment about loving people. Uh, it's in Leviticus 19.18, which reads, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I love that last part, I am the Lord. Letting the Israelites know at the time that this commandment came from God, who is the lawmaker and the lawgiver. Uh, from him comes the truth. We may know this rule uh, more commonly as the golden rule. Uh, this is already a high standard, loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, we all know it's not easy to treat others the way that we want to be treated, especially if they have wronged us or angered us in some way. It's a whole lot easier to take it upon ourselves to invoke some sort of justice or vengeance or payback. Um, but even from the Old Testament, we are told to love them. But now, in John, Jesus ups the ante even more. We're not just supposed to love others as ourselves. We're to love as Christ has loved us. And this love is on a whole nother level. Christ's love is, is unconditional. Uh, his love knows no bounds. It's for all people. And this is the love that is supposed to triumph in the disciples' lives all the time. Christ's love was sacrificial as in the coming chapters he's going to lay down his life for the world to be saved. Christ's love served others as even just before our passage he was washing the disciples' feet. And Christ's love crossed all barriers like at the beginning of John when he talked with the woman at the well. Jesus' love is beyond our human capabilities and yet he calls us to love like him. And, and, and how is that possible? How can we love like Christ? Well, we, we are to love with the love that he gives us. We are to pass that love on. No longer is the command held to a human standard, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but now it is a holy standard. It's a perfect standard. It's a divine standard. Now that Christ came down and lived the perfect life, we are to follow that and to aspire to live that life of loving others as Christ did. We no longer get to love on our own terms, getting to decide when and how we can love others. It's now on Christ's terms. We have to love like him. And the other thing about this love is that it's for one another. It's a love that should be recognized by believers amongst his followers. It starts with his disciples. Yes, there is a need to love outwardly, to, to let others know who don't, who don't know God that there's a love that's available to them. Um, but it starts amongst believers, amongst disciples. And this is a love that only these disciples have felt. These 11 here in this room have experienced Jesus' love in ways that others haven't. And this is the love that they are to continue to share. Now I want to quickly address too the, he makes a new commandment. And, and who, why can Jesus make a new law? Well, it's because he is God. God is the lawmaker and the lawgiver, and because Jesus has the authority of God the Father, this law comes from God too. It really is a new commandment. Verse 35 ends by saying, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And now comes in this outward aspect of the love 
that reaches other people. By this, others will know that they love Christ. I think this ties perfectly with what Pastor Wayne has been preaching from the book of Acts. Last week in Acts 11.23, he brought up how Barnabas saw the grace of God in the church of Antioch. He saw the church exemplifying, living out, and being like Christ. It was, it was visible. And our passage this morning exhorts us down a similar path. As we love one another, people will recognize it. The love that Christians followers of Jesus have for one another will be a way that the light of the world is spread, uh, that the way that the Spirit can work in people's hearts, and it's a way that others can be pointed to Christ. So we have uh, here in verses 31 through 35 an explanation of, of how Jesus will be glorified, insight into what is about to happen in the chapters following, and, and what the disciples are to do to continue the work of God's kingdom. But what about uh, us this morning. What does this mean? Uh, what does this look like in our lives? Well, I want to. I asked some questions at the beginning. I want to bring those questions uh, in front of us again, because knowing and doing this uh, new commandment is good and necessary. But I think it's how it fits into the larger picture that may help us the most. So, first question was, how do we define God's kingdom? Uh, what's our role in God's kingdom? And then, what does the kingdom of God look like today? So how do we define God's kingdom? Uh, my professor uh, in this class has a definition, and it's really good, and I, why change it? So this is his definition. Uh, it, God's kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule. I'll repeat that. God's people in God's place under God's rule. So this is Christ's kingdom, where God's people, who are his disciples, his followers, people who have entrusted their lives to God, have put their faith in him. And those people are under God's rule, living out God's instruction, his, um, living in accordance with his word, the law, his commandment, which includes our commandment here today. And as far as God's place, like it says in verse 33 of our passage, where Jesus is, we cannot yet go. But I would argue that this is more of a spiritual presence, that God is with us where we are at through the Holy Spirit. And so that is God's place. So it's God's people uh, in God's place under his rule. What is uh, the role, what is our role in God's kingdom? as I just mentioned, part of it is living under uh, his authority. And that means adhering to his commands. And there are many, uh, but from this morning, we have our new commandment. We are commanded to love one another. Our role in the kingdom is to love as Christ has loved us. So I want to ask you a couple questions. So the questions I've been asking myself, uh, I think it's necessary for us to be able to carry out this role well. How has Christ loved you? Just think to yourself and ponder that. How has Christ loved you? How has Christ loved you over the span of, of your entire life? How have you seen Christ's love in your life? How has Christ loved you in 2018, in this past year? How have you seen the love of Christ? And if you're having trouble thinking about how quick you know, this year has gone by really quick, how about in just, just in this past week, how have you seen Christ's love? 
And now we'll, we'll take it a step farther. Are you loving one another, the people in your life, the people in this room, in that same way, with the love of Christ? Have you loved in a way that would point people to Christ? I think this is especially uh, necessary for us, East Parkway, uh, where we are located, to be thinking about loving, uh, how we love one another is a ministry to to reach those around us. I was in a conversation this week with someone, um, and I got the chance to just kind of explain our church and just share our heart and who we are and, and what we love. Um, and a part of that is reaching this community around us, and, and that looks different here than maybe a church in Antelope or South Sac or areas that may have more obvious needs that the church can address and show their love through. One of maybe one of our best ministry opportunities might be the way that we show love to one another. I would assume that you all love uh, the people in your lives to a certain degree, uh, your family and your friends and your neighbors or coworkers. But do they know that you love them? Maybe your family and friends do, um, but what about your, the other people in your life, coworkers and neighbors? I'm not sure how common it is as you guys are you know, taking the trash out in the driveway and you see your neighbor and you just kind of, neighbor, love you. I don't think that happens. I don't know if you guys, maybe you guys do that. Um, but do they know somehow that you love them? And taking it, again, a step farther, do they know that God loves them? Do the people in your lives know that through the way that you love them, that God loves them, that, they are, that you are loving them with the love of their maker and king. So this, is, this all ties back into our role in the kingdom is to show this love, to love one another, that others can see uh, who Christ is. Now, what does God's kingdom look like today? Um, this last aspect of the kingdom we learn from this uh, that we learn about in our passage is based on community, loving one another. It is a community of people that are loving each other as Christ loved them. Each and every one of us in this room is a part of this community, a part of God's community and a part of God's kingdom. It's part of what we're aiming to do here at East Parkway, building community for the cause of Christ. And how? Well, we, we said that we want to reach Tree Lake Village and beyond. We want this neighborhood to be pointed to Christ through the way that we love each other. But how do we do that? Well, we need to be in their community. We need to enter into their lives. We can't just expect them to come here to us and to see uh, how we live. We need to enter into their world. We can bring our community to them to which they can warm up and come be a part of our community here. But as a part of God's church, his community, his kingdom, You are all tasked, we are all tasked, I'm tasked and commanded to love one another as Christ has loved us. And so just in closing, um, in a time in 2018 where all sorts of uh, lines are being drawn and there seems to be this need to distinguish uh, who is on what side and there's a lot of hostility and anger towards those who differ from you and opinions are stated as truths and Commonalities with other people just seem to be rare. What if we were the source of light 
the ones who loved, the movement that pointed people towards Christ. Because the reality is, church, that the world is watching us, and will we show them the love of God, what God's kingdom is all about through this new commandment? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for what you are doing in our lives, and we're thankful for what Jesus did, coming down and living a, the life that we were supposed to live and, and going through uh, the painful death and the sacrifice on the cross, God, uh, t- to give us life. And I pray that we would um, be empowered and, and encouraged to live like Christ uh, every moment of the day and to love each other and love others with that same love that you are loving us. God, those questions of how you've loved us, I I pray that you would help us to see. Maybe it's hard to see how you've loved us. I pray that you would bring clarity, that we'd be able to identify the ways in which you are loving us um, over time, day to day, or even now. And that way we can then share that love with those around us in our lives. I pray that as we live our life, East Parkway Church, um, and we love each other, I pray that we would be pointing people to you and that people would be, it would just be visible in the way our community is that we love you, God. So I just pray these things. We give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.